1: Heineke with time over the middle into the end zone. Caught! McLaurin's got the touchdown!
0: Nine seconds to go in the half, and Heineke finds McLaurin for six.
1: Taylor Heineke was great yesterday. No other way to describe it. Best game for him, I think, of his uh, very young career as a starter. Certainly the best game of this season, Uh, and he played really well last week he's doing his best to make people like me change our minds about him. The bigger picture conversation uh, we will continue to have, but not today. Uh, today is about yesterday and the game they won at Carolina 27 to 21 to move to four and six and yes into mathematical contention for an NFC playoff berth. Yeah, playoffs. Scott Van Pelt's going to be on the show um, a little bit later. We will talk other NFL. He'll give his thoughts on Heineke and Washington. Uh, We will talk some college football. Um, We're getting down now to the biggest games of the year. Uh, We'll talk some uh, Wizards. We'll talk some Maryland basketball. And we will talk about Len Bias, who went into the National Collegiate Hall of Fame yesterday. Uh, And uh, I will hopefully remember to ask him about um, the story he tells every year at Thanksgiving time about how Clint Longley nearly killed his grandfather. Uh, Washington was done Halloween night. Two and six was the record, a 17-10 loss to Denver, four losses in a row, and their quarterback just resuscitated the season with his performance last week and then yesterday. I don't know how long the season's going to live in terms of mathematical contention, but the season was essentially pronounced dead three weeks ago, and somehow now it isn't. And it's mostly because of Taylor Heineke. He deserved and received the largest sli- a slice last week of our you know credit pie chart. Uh, he gets the same again this week, if not more of it. Uh, like last week, there's plenty to, to go around, plenty of slices to go around. And I will get to my game take here uh, momentarily where I tell you who I liked uh, or what I liked, what I didn't like, and other things from the game. And there's a lot to yesterday's game. But I wanted to start with this because it was just three weeks ago on Halloween night where um, they lost to Denver. And I came in here and on the show the following day, I said, look, the, the competitive portion of the season's over. They're two and six. This is another Rock bottom, they're a bad football team, and really the thing that's interesting now the rest of the way, and part of this is just trying to create something to pay attention to the rest of the year, is how Ron Rivera handles it. That was the thought after the Denver loss. You know, I remember Ben Standig was on the radio show, and he said, we can't even really talk about the particulars of these games anymore. This has to be just, you know, the big-picture conversation. Where are they headed? You know, it's an organization that's a train wreck. The football thing's hit rock bottom again. Where is this going? And really, it can't turn around until they get the answer at quarterback. And I said that Ron Rivera— You know would be the guy to watch because in so many cases when four losses two and six seasons over for the most part team is a bad team which they were uh, on halloween night nfl is always evolving um, and this year maybe as much as any year in the past but i said how he handles this team Will be interesting to watch because so many times in the past it's imploded in these in these situations. Leaks start flying, people start backstabbing, and eventually it ends in you know a, a tough ending in the season. I mean, Jay Gruden survived a lot of them, but they were actually pretty competitive for a stretch. You know, there in 2015 and 2016 with some hope, and last year created I think some false hope, but. What is similar is Ron Rivera kept that team together last year and he appears to be doing it again this year. You know, he's got a track record of his teams getting better as the season goes along and playing hard, competing, and then playing their best football at the end of the year. You know, even during that four-game losing skid, we did notice that they were playing hard and they were improving a little during those losses. Um... He's doing a really good job, and I think it needs to be acknowledged that he has gotten his team, he and his staff, has gotten his team to play its two most complete games of the season um, off the mat at 2-6, and and by the way, being their most injured that they've been all year long, defensive players out. Um, I'm not really sure if that's hurting them that much uh, because their best two defensive performances of the year were last week and then yesterday. Tons of offensive pieces uh, missing, mixing and matching along the offensive line. Um, They could, by the way, start getting some of these key pieces back. Curtis Samuel, um, there was some discussion up until the inactive list came out that Samuel might actually be active yesterday, which means that Monday night against Seattle, there's a chance he could be back in the lineup or be available to play and maybe one of the tight ends as well when we get to the Monday night game against Seattle. More on that coming up. Um, But Ron Rivera and his staff have done an excellent job of, for the moment, keeping the season together. Maybe it falls apart over the last seven games, but that's not his track record, really, you know? And there are seven games left to totally change the narrative of this season. That's a lot of football left. You know, the season doesn't end until January 9th because of the 17 games. The second weekend in January, they have seven left. That's nearly half this, the old season. Uh, You can think whatever you want about Rivera, and we've had conversations about him just like we've had conversations about Taylor Heineke. You can think whatever you want about whether or not he's a good coach and whether or not Scott Turner is a good offensive coordinator and whether or not Jack Del Rio is a good defensive coordinator. I think many of you have had all three of these guys fired at some point during the season. You can think that, but the truth is they are coaching their asses off right now. Just like, by the way, when it comes to the quarterback conversation, people like me can say whatever we want, think whatever we want, about whether or not Taylor Heineke is actually a future franchise quarterback possibility. But he's playing his ass off right now. We can't deny that. The coaches are coaching him up, and the quarterback is playing his best football of the year. Both of those things are true right now. And this NFL is wild, man, because things change so quickly. And Washington was 2-6, and six and they were a bad team. And their record at 4-6 and six says, if you believe Bill Parcells, you are what your record says you are, a sub-500 team, not a good team at 4-6. and six. But that would be, I think, very short-sighted because in the NFL, you have to look at now. How are they playing now? What do they look like right now? Because right now, Washington is approaching playing football in a way that some would describe as a team that's pretty good the last two weeks. That could change Monday night. That could change over the next couple of weeks. But they've got two consecutive games of playing as if they are a good football team. They beat the defending champs pretty soundly last week. Now, they didn't play well. Carolina was one of the best defenses in the league. Washington once again moved the football and scored points, 29-27 and the last two weeks, against two excellent defensive football teams. The truth is, against the Chiefs, the Packers, and the Broncos, they were moving the football. They just weren't scoring points. They weren't finishing. Playoff race, yeah, they're in the NFC playoff race. I mean, that's not saying much because almost everybody is with the exception of the Lions and the Bears. But the Lions and the Bears are the company Washington was keeping two weeks ago, and they've moved out of that group for now. There are teams in the NFC that are 5-5, five and five, like Minnesota, San Francisco, and New Orleans. New Orleans is going the wrong way, San Francisco and Minnesota trending the right way. And then there are the Philadelphia Eagles at five and six, along with the Panthers. And who knows? Maybe the Giants after tonight. Who the hell knows? No, the Giants wouldn't be five and six. They would be four and six because they're three and six. At this point, if you lay double digit points like I asked you to do with Cleveland on Friday in the NFL, you're crazy. Lots of football left, but the skins right now are legitimately in the wild card conversation. I would say to you, that I think the best teams that are in the hunt. If you, right now, with seven games left, some teams have six left, with seven games left, if you assume that the four division winners are going to be Dallas, Green Bay, Tampa, and let's just say Arizona, and you assume that the second-place team in the NFC West right now, the Rams, will get one of the three wild card spots, that puts San Francisco, Atlanta, Carolina, the Saints – The Vikings, Washington, and Philadelphia in the hunt for two spots. I would say right now Minnesota, San Francisco, and Philadelphia are the three best teams of those teams vying for those two spots, but things change. And Washington on Monday night against Seattle, where they are now a a one-and-a-half point dog, they opened as a a two-and-a-half point dog, which was surprising to me. Uh, sharp money is bet that down to one and a half. Wouldn't surprise me if by Monday night, the game's a pick or maybe even Washington minus one Seattle has reached a low point during the Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson era. They are three and seven and they do not look good. That's why this schedule game is tough to play, especially when you look later in the season. Uh, that team doesn't look anything like what we thought that team would look like, nor do the Raiders, their opponent after Seattle. The Raiders play the Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, But wait a minute, Kevin. Washington still has all their division games left. They could still make a run at the division. They still get the Cowboys twice. Yeah, I'm going to put that on hold for now. Um, It's true. They play the Cowboys twice and the Eagles twice. And the Cowboys have lost two of their last three and haven't looked good offensively in two of their last three. I mean, Denver had them shut out. With five minutes to go. And Kansas City held them to nine points. The Chiefs defense now all of a sudden is great. Crazy. Um, What a crazy day the NFL had yesterday. Another one of those days. The Texans as a double-digit underdog. Shockingly over the Titans. Nothing should seem like a shock. The Browns as a 13-point dog. That's where it went off. Barely over the Lions. The Colts routed the Bills. We'll talk some NFL with Scott when we have him on. A little bit later on in the show. By the way, before we get to my game take, I just wanted to acknowledge the Wizards because that game on Saturday night was one of the most thrilling games of the year. I can't remember the last time on college football Saturdays or NFL Sundays that I have watched as much of the NBA's local team more than this year. I love Spencer Dinwiddie. I love Montrose Harrell. Those are the two players I loved when these deals were made. They came back from 10 down with you know, four and change left to beat Miami. Miami's really good. They've got a chance to win an NBA title this year. And they won that game in front of a sold-out crowd. It looked like it was sold out. I think they said it was sold out. And it was a phenomenal atmosphere that was coming through the TV. There's something going on down there. Um, this is a likable team. This is a good team, and I'm excited for them. They play Charlotte tonight. They're a four-point favorite. Uh, to avenge the loss last week to Charlotte. And then they go on the road for 13 of 17 between now and Christmas. That'll be a very important stretch. I uh, just want to remind everybody, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, if you could do it, it'd be great. It doesn't cost you a thing. It helps us rate us and review us wherever you can as well, especially on Apple. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, um, give us a five-star rating and write a one-sentence review telling Um, Apple, how much you love the podcast. That really helps us, enables us to generate um, the kind of revenue we need to continue to do this. Um, So it's helpful if you do that. All right. uh, My game take coming up right after these words from a few of our sponsors.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Pay attention
1: Is Kevin's Game Take. And my Game Take today is sponsored by my bookie This year... Turkey Day at MyBookie gives you plenty of reasons to be thankful, starting with a $250 risk-free bet on Thursday afternoon when Dallas and the Raiders play. Bet the spread between the Raiders and Cowboys at MyBookie on Thanksgiving Day. When you win, you win. And if you don't, MyBookie will refund you up to $250. Simply put, you can't lose this bet, and that's what I call no risk, no risk, all gravy. Before you get your wager in, set yourself up for success by doubling your first deposit when using my promo code, Kevin DC at MyBookie. That's promo code, Kevin DC to double your initial deposit all the way up to thousand dollars. So you won't need, you won't need to break the wishbone to be the one to come out ahead. Feast, risk-free on Turkey Day with my bookie and make sure to stick around for seconds as they gear up for what should be a fun Black Friday with tons of odds boosts that will have your belly and your pockets full. Again, guys, the Thanksgiving Day proposition from my bookie is you place a bet and even if you lose it, they will refund you up to 250 bucks. So if you bet five hundred bucks on the Raiders plus seven and you lose, they'll give you two hundred and fifty back. If you bet uh, two hundred and fifty bucks on the game, they'll refund you the two fifty if you lose the bet. So I would take advantage of that at my bookie, uh, mybookie.ag or mybookie.com. Again, my promo code Kevin DC for them to double your first deposit. All right, let's get to the things that I liked and didn't like. We'll start with Taylor Heineke. Uh, He's number one on the list of things that I liked. Uh, Last week, he was 26 of 32 for 256 yards and a touchdown, no picks. He was really good. Yesterday, he was 16 of 22 for 206 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. He was even better. Yesterday was his best game of the year. It was near flawless. It wasn't perfect, but it was damn close. In the last two weeks, 42 of 54 with four touchdowns and no picks. Last week, there could have been some picks. Yesterday, not really any. Uh, I think I had him at an A-minus last week. Uh, Yesterday, he's at an A. I'll keep the A-plus for maybe Monday night. Who knows? But I think he was a solid A. He was better. I mean, I'd like to give him an A-plus, but I want to hold that back for something even bigger and better. But yesterday was really, really good. I was so impressed with the game that Taylor Heineke played. I'm going to start with this specifically. Taylor Heineke, for two weeks running, has been really good on the most important plays of the game. Third downs, fourth downs, game on the line, et cetera. Um, I, the, he had a third and nine early in the game, third drive, 39 yards to Terry McLaurin, you know, where he gave McLaurin a shot on the the near sideline, and McLaurin got both feet in. He continues to give McLaurin uh, a shots, and I think that's smart. Um, the fourth and five to Carter near the end of the first half and a – uh, you know, in a, in a drive that ultimately led to a 14-14 tie. The third and nine to Humphreys um, on that drive as well that, that set up the throw uh, to McLaurin. So third and nine, third drive, fourth and five, third and nine on the drive before the half. How about the first drive of the second half, third and five to Cam Sims for 13 yards. Third and goal, the touchdown pass to DeAndre Carter. You want production in the red zone? Put it in the hands of Taylor Heineke on third or fourth down, and he seems to deliver anywhere on the field. Yesterday in the red zone on third and goal, took Carter. Uh, Early in the third quarter, um, they're up uh, uh, 21-14. He's got a scramble. Uh, on third and two there's a third and 21 with the score uh, 24 on the go-ahead drive that gave him a 24 21 lead to Humphreys for 18 yards that set up the fourth down and three magical play all right magical play where he extends 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 fights off Brett Favre style you know a would-be uh, defender trying to, to sack him and he throws to Bates great catch by Bates by the way on that play to move the chains I'll have something else on that fourth and three play here in a moment. Last week, they were 11 for 19 on third downs, two for two on fourth downs, 13 for 21 last week against the Buccaneers on plays that could have either turned the ball over to Tampa or forced a punt or a field goal. Uh, Yesterday, six of 13 on third, two for two on fourth, eight for 15 on plays where they could have been off the field. That's 21 of 36 in two weeks, 58.3%. And what it leads to is, is it leads to play disparities like last week's 71 to 47, Washington's play count offensively to Tampa's, and yesterday's 65 to 49. Last week they had a 2 to 1 time of possession advantage, nearly 40 to 20. Yesterday it was 36 minutes to 24 minutes. That's pretty good offensive football. They're staying on the field, and he's making a lot of plays on third down, a lot of plays. Uh, I love the way Taylor Heineke throws with different arm angles. He's just an athlete. His highest level attribute is his athleticism and it is his ability with feel, with great hands, with great vision, with great feet, with great speed, with great quickness to extend plays, and then under pressure to be able to change his arm angle, contort it Mahomes or Rogers style, and make a throw. One of the most impressive throws of the day is a meaningless one to most, but it was one that stood out to me. Here comes Jeremy Chin on a free blitzing um, you know, off the edge, and Taylor Heineke, there's nobody to pick it up, and Heineke has to contort his arm angle to get a throw sidearm out to Dax Milne for five yards. He ran yesterday as a scrambler, and then there were several read option and/or designed runs in there as well. That's becoming more a part of what they're doing. I love it. By the way, I say designed versus read options because that second and twelve after he fumbled the snap after making the fourth and three, and then he ran for 14 yards. You know that was um, he had a lead blocker Bates on that play, so. You know, a true read option is the quarterback reading the D end or the outside linebacker, and if he crashes, he keeps the ball, and then he's in the clear, you know, not not with a lead blocker. They Bates, on that, on that read option presentation anyway, was a lead blocker. So I don't know if that was a designed run where it's presented as read option, where the running back might get it, but really because they've got Bates out there blocking for him, that is a designed read option keeper. Uh, but they're getting him into those plays more often, and he's terrific, obviously, as a scrambler. I love how he gives his best player a chance consistently in Terry McLaurin. Does he dial him up too much? I don't think you can. That's how good McLaurin is, and you know, the truth is, is Heineke throws that ball into an area with McLaurin that gives McLaurin a chance. I thought the one deep one to McLaurin that he didn't pull in was more on McLaurin than it was on Heineke. I thought McLaurin either slowed down or jumped, you know, sort of awkwardly or with bad timing. Uh, he was highly productive yesterday. Big plays, highly productive. He averaged over nine yards per pass attempt, nearly 13 yards per pass completion. He's fearless, as we know. He gives receivers a chance. He threw yesterday with great anticipation and touch. The touchdown pass to Cam Sims, Cam Sims was a beauty. He was an A yesterday. There were a couple of plays that I think he'd like to have back. The first, third, and three, I don't think he did what the play was designed to do. There was an ineligible receiver downfield, which tells me that it was an RPO, but he pulled it and ran it like it was a read option. So I'm not sure what happened there. The fourth and three magical play that he pulled off to Bates, I think in timing he could throw that to DeAndre Carter. Um, Carter got a clear out and a bit of a screen from Humphreys. And if that ball's out quickly and in timing, it's probably a first down. I think that was probably his first read. McLaurin was doubled in the middle of the field. Um, But he was really, really good all day long. Also on the list of things that I loved, Terry McLaurin, five catches, 103 yards on seven targets. One of those targets I thought was a catchable ball. Would have been a big one. Um, he's just incredible. And I really think that the discussion about no Samuel and no Thomas is important. Don't get me wrong. They'd be, uh, those, those are, uh, you know, certainly Thomas has been missed you know, Thomas has been missed in the red zone is a big target. Um, but not too much on third or fourth down the last two weeks. Uh, you know, Curtis Samuel, a dynamic player, but DeAndre Carter has been great. Um, McKissick's been great. I, I, I think the argument that they're missing a lot of pieces offensively and therefore, the, you know, uh, they're really overachieving, I think they don't have their best weaponry. But I think the weapons they have are pretty good. You know, McLaurin's one of the best receivers in the league. You know, I don't care where you put him. I mean, we've debated this a bunch. Is he top 10? He's, he's close to it. He's no worse than 10 to 12, 10 to 14. He's a top half of the league number one worst case, and he's a top 10 number one best case. A lot of good receivers in the league. Terry McLaurin's one of them. Uh, I thought the running game uh, in the game yesterday was so important. Uh, They have run the football now really for a few weeks uh, in a row. Now, Heineke was a big part of the run game against Green Bay, but they ran it last week. They stayed stayed balanced. And yesterday you had a game in which the quarterback, um, you know, dropped back more than the pass attempts. He probably dropped back 25 times. You ran it 40 in the game yesterday. 40 times for 190 yards, 4.8 yards per carry. The, the backs combined, Gibson, McKissick, and, and Patterson, combined 33 carries, 164 yards. And I thought Antonio Gibson was incredible in the second half. After the fumble in the first half, Gibson was 12 for 78 in the second half. I thought it was as good as he's looked as a Washington player. 19 for 95 on the day, and you could tell he was running pissed off in the second half because he essentially got benched for the fumble in the first half. Six and a half yards per carry. It was huge. And if they can continue to do that, it takes the pressure off Heineke as well. Not that he hasn't delivered in some big spots when the other team knows they need to throw. But the balance is really right now, you know, really working for them because they are able to run the football against some teams that are great at stopping the run recently, Tampa and uh, and Carolina. Scott Turner. I don't care what anybody says. Scott Turner is an offensive coordinator and play caller in this league. I saw it last year at times and said it Um and this year, even in some of the games where they didn't score a lot of points, I didn't think it was on him. I think he has a real good feel for what the opponent's weaknesses are, and I think he is able to scheme people open. I do. Uh, I think he called another really good game yesterday. On the list of things that I like as well, the late game drive again. Last week it was ridiculous, 19 you know, plays and, and 10 and a half minutes. Um, this one with the score tied at 21-21, you ended up with a 12-play, 58-yard drive that ate up six minutes and 31 seconds of the clock. They took over from their own 25 after Cam had thrown the touchdown pass to McCaffrey to tie it. They overcame a third and 21 with that you know, 18-yard throw to Humphreys and then the fourth and three magical play by Heineke. Before that, though, there was a second nine Heineke scramble where he gets hit by Burris. They add 15 to that. Then there's a second and 12 sack of Heineke where he gets twisted up and bent backwards. God, that looked ugly. And here he comes back on third and 21 and throws to Humphreys. Humphreys makes a nice catch, nice turn, and now it's fourth and three, and they get the fourth and three. Um, there was, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, on that drive, as we've already mentioned one big conversion after another. Um, I did think on the third and seven uh, that they didn't convert on before the field goal attempt. I thought that that was one of the only, you know, I mentioned, you know, the fourth and three, uh, you know, nitpicking, he could have thrown to Carter in in rhythm. I think um, I thought that first, you know, third and three was a little bit of a, of a confusing play for him. But, uh, I think the third and seven on the on the drive that uh, led to a field goal and a twenty four to twenty one lead. I think that he rushed it um, and he threw off his back foot, which is why he was inaccurate to Terry McLaurin on that third and seven in the end zone. Mark Sanchez pointed out, he's like, this is one where he's got to learn, he's got to set his feet, get his mechanics right, because that's a touchdown. McLaurin had beaten the defender. That was probably the worst uh, or the biggest missed opportunity. Of the day. Uh, but that final drive, wow. Uh, ends in field goal. They had a chance after the offsides to go for the fourth and two. I didn't have a problem with them kicking the field goal. On the list of things I liked, third down defense, second consecutive week, two for nine. That's six of 19 on third down the last two weeks, 31.5% the last two weeks on third down. That's really good. They're still dead last in the league. But the last two games, they've been excellent on third down, and yesterday, excellent on fourth down. The Panthers won for three, including the final two fourth-down opportunities they had to either tie the game at 24-21 or to try to go down and win it at 27-21. And Washington got off the field with a really good Cameron Curl play on McCaffrey on the first one and a uh, sack uh, by Payne and Smith-Williams on the fourth and three to end the game. John Allen specifically was John Allen dominant. One of my favorite stretches to watch in the game. Go watch, if you've got you know the recorded version or the All-22, go watch the Panthers' first drive of the third quarter. First and ten, Allen takes McCaffrey and literally throws him to the ground for a one-yard gain. Second and nine, he drives the guard so far back into Cam's lap that Cam can barely get the ball out of his hands. Sets up third and nine where he gets doubled. I've said this before. All the talk of the chippers and the doubling and all that stuff going on with Chase Young, I think Allen's been doubled a lot. I think teams recognize what a force he has become. I thought John Allen, another A game. I thought Cam Curl was great. I thought Payne had his moments. Unfortunately, one of them was a 15-yard penalty. I thought Cole Holcomb at times played well yesterday. Uh, I know he gave up that throw over his head to McCaffrey for the game-tying touchdown, but God, he dropped to some pretty significant depth. That was an amazing throw by Cam Newton. An amazing throw. I think one of the biggest plays of the game, and it's on the list of things that I liked, was Troy Apke going down in the pile and digging out DeAndre Carter's fumbled kickoff return at 14-7 Carolina. What a huge play in the game that was. Huge play. If they... Fumbled that kickoff return and Carolina takes over right there. They're going to be down two scores, whether it's 17 7 or 21 7. They most likely go into halftime down two scores. Instead, they keep the ball, they go 12 plays, 71 yards, eat up the last five plus minutes of the first half, and it's 14 14 at halftime. And then they got the ball to start the second half. For those of you, you know, that want to say, well, that's because they deferred. They got the double dip. That's what you get when you defer. You get a double dip. No, you don't. You get a chance at a double dip, but there's no. um, Tried to explain this before. There's nothing in probability that would tell you that if you defer, that you have a much greater chance of having more possessions in the game than your opponent. That that's that's untrue. Now, is it true that the only way to get a an end of the first half possession and the beginning of a second half possession is to defer and take the ball in the second half? Well, of course, but there's no guarantee that you're going to have the ball last in the first half. This double dip theory of, of if you defer, you're going to get the ball at the end of the first half in the second half. Well, you are going to get the ball to start the second half, but there's no guarantee. And it's basically a coin flip as to whether or not you'll have the ball at the end of the first half. Anyway, I digress. Uh, great drive at the end of the first half started by Troy Apke's fumble recovery. Lastly, on the things that I liked list, Joey Sly, another perfect day. Nothing long, but he's a professional kicker. I was actually surprised that Rivera didn't put him out there for the 55 yarder, 56 yarder when they were at the Carolina 38 in the second half. I thought that I I, I was expecting Sly with his big leg to be put out there. All right, let me get to the list of things that I did not like. Um, I'm going to start with penalties. Uh, Washington, eight for 69 on the day. They had a fourth and inches false start on Schweitzer, who was just in at center for Larson, who got hurt. That led to a fourth and five, which they converted on the throw to DeAndre, uh, to, uh, DeAndre Carter. Payne had a 15-yarder in the game that helped Carolina, uh, drive it down the field to make it 21-21. Sheriff had a a false start in the game. Bottom line is too many penalties, too many 15-yarders, too many penalties in the game yesterday for them. Um... They they can't you know uh, it it Carolina had some key penalties as well some key holding penalties on first down runs by McCaffrey Um, but you know in a game that really was well played by Washington uh, we got to find something penalties weren't good the fumble by Gibson obviously not good it took points off the board fumbling's a problem for him he's also a really good back he really is. Uh, Gibson running out of bounds on that final Washington drive before the field goal that made it 27-21. Big mistake. Ron said he thought he got horse-collared out of bounds. I don't know. That seems to be a bit of a reach. Bottom line is, you know, unless you really thought you had a chance to get the first down, which then it wouldn't have mattered had the clock stopped because you would have then been in three-knee territory because Carolina didn't have any timeouts left. Um, if you weren't going to get the first down, you had to go You had to go down in bounds. Even if that meant a five-yard run instead of a seven-yard run, you got to go down because then you you force 40 seconds off the clock that Carolina won't have at the end of the game. That was a big mistake. Um, On the list of things that I didn't like, uh, Rivera challenged a flea flicker. Uh, Anybody that looked at that one time in the booth should have told him, do not challenge this. It looked in live action like Cam was in front of McCaffrey. But clearly on replay, McCaffrey threw it from the 48 and Cam caught it at the 47 or 47 and a half. There was no way that that call was going to be overturned. In fact, it was a call on the field that said that it was that the call on the field stands. I thought it could have been confirmed. Bad challenge on that front. Last thing on the list of things that I did not like from the game. Um, they scored on the final drive of the first half to make it 14-14, which was great but they did not manage the clock well at the end of the first half at all. One of the first times I've really mentioned this 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 year, I think they've done a really good job um, with their timeouts and with clock management at the end of halves and games. Washington had two timeouts left, and after a second and 10 run by McKissick to the Carolina 24-yard line, it was a one-yard run, they had second and nine, they let the clock go from 53 seconds to 19 seconds before snapping it. You've got to be thinking touchdown when you're at the 24. I know it's third and nine, and there is a fine line, I understand, of you don't want to snap it too quickly or you don't want to call timeout with 53 seconds left because if you miss the third down, you kick the field goal, it leaves them with too much time. I get it. But you can't let the clock go down to 19 seconds and then run a play. It's got to be somewhere around 30 that you call a timeout or – that you take the snap or you know, 35, something like that. You got to have a little bit more trust in your defense and you have to create a situation where you have more plays, not less plays because touchdowns should be the priority there, down 14-7. Touchdowns should be the priority at the end of the half any day, regardless of the score. On the third uh, and nine with 19 seconds when they finally snapped it, so 34 seconds after the previous play ended with six seconds left on the play clock, Heineke throws a ball to Humphreys to convert for 12 yards down to the Carolina 12-yard line. And now it's first and 10 at the Carolina 12, but there are only 14 seconds left in the half. And Washington uses its second timeout. And see, the problem with that is they did score on the next play. So it's one of those things where kind of no harm, no foul. But really, the goal there is if you convert on this next play, you want as many plays as possible to get a touchdown. I, that should have been managed in a way in which when the play before it ended at 53 seconds, you have a timeout left or you go sort of quasi hurry up and get the call in and you snap it with like 35 seconds, 34 seconds, not 19 Because you should have had, after that conversion, an opportunity to run many plays. And they left themselves with the opportunity to only run three plays, maybe. So two offensive snaps and then a field goal if they don't score. And you had, by the way, a chance to get a first down and a new set of downs. So they got a little bit lucky there. Of course, it's a touchdown to McLaurin on the next play. Good for them. It's 14-14. But the goal should always be, how do I create an opportunity by using timeouts or hurry up at the end of a half or the end of the game when I need a touchdown to create more plays versus less plays? And they handled it in a way that created less plays as an opportunity. Bad clock management at the end of the first half by Ron Rivera yesterday. Um, a few other observations from the game, and then we'll get to Scott. I thought Cam Newton played well. He played the whole game. Remember, we were thinking that P.J. Walker might play. I thought he played much better than I was expecting. The first touchdown on the fake quarterback draw and the throw to D.J. Moore, that was pretty. His read option keeper for a touchdown was vintage Cam. By the way, uh, Kendall Fuller got handled on that play. Um. The scramble that he had on a third and three deep in his own territory when they were down 21-14 was also vintage Cam. The throw to McCaffrey for a touchdown was as pretty as any throw you'll see any quarterback make this year. Beautiful. couple of other observations uh, from the game yesterday. Uh, the unnecessary roughness penalty on Burris against DeAndre Carter I thought was a terrible call terrible call it there wasn't that much contact there it certainly wasn't late it wasn't near the head or the neck area big break for Washington on that drive um huge break uh for Washington on that drive I thought also um uh that the jumping off sides that set up the first and five when Washington got the ball back down about, ball back after the fourth down stop was a huge play in the game because it allowed them to get a first down. I'm talking about 24-21. They get it back. Uh, Carolina jumps off sides. It was the right call. It was a huge p- penalty because it gave Washington the opportunity to burn much more clock by making a first down easily. Uh, what else did I have? Um, uh, I I mentioned the, um, the Ron Rivera not going for the field goal with Joey Sly. I don't know. Maybe it was because there was some wind in that direction. Would have been about a 55 yarder. Uh, it was the third and 21 that they turned into like a, a fourth and 10 um, after a 10 or 11 yard throw to Bates. Why not a field goal there? I don't know. Um, I, you, the kickers now are trying 55 and 56 yarders. the The ideal spot is if you can get to the other inside the other team's 40 at any point. That that should be field goal territory in the NFL. Um, Oh, the last thing that I wanted to mention, how about Tressway? In the last three weeks, he's only punted six times. That tells you something about what Washington's doing offensively. They're moving the football. They're converting on third downs. They're converting on fourth downs. They're also going for a lot of fourth downs. Tressway has only punted six times in three games. That would be an average of two punts per game. He had three yesterday. He had two against Tampa. He had one against Denver. He is pretty much at the bottom of the league in overall attempted punts this year. Usually that would mean that you have a pretty prolific offense. It doesn't really mean that this year necessarily because they're, they're going through, through for a lot of fourth downs. They're kicking field goals, but they are moving the ball. They're not going three and out in their own territory and putting Tressway out there to kick it six, seven times a game. His 27 total punts on the year, um, and that's what he has now through 10 games, Uh, there are only three kickers in the league with fewer in terms of full-time punters. Actually, two. Only two. He's barely punted this year. He's having a a really good year. He's averaging 49.5 per kick. That's third in the league. And his net at 42.6 is like fifth or sixth in the league. And he still is one of the better kickers at inside 20 but because it's 7 out of 27. I, I, that's, I, I don't know what that percentage is in terms of an inside 20. Obviously, field position means everything. So it's a little bit misleading. But the opportunities he usually gets, he usually delivers inside the 20. Big win for them. Really big win. I did not expect them to win two games in a row to be, and to be here at four and six. I also didn't expect Dallas um, to look uh, as poor as they've looked in two of their last three outings. They've opened up the door a little bit with all those division games, and not just for Washington, but really more so for Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia and Washington are going to have two big games. Dallas and Washington will have two big games potentially it's nice to consider the possibility that the season isn't over and we are going to get through the thanksgiving holiday and have a monday night game against the seattle seahawks that matters you know and that's a winnable game with the way the seahawks are playing very winnable sunday was winnable they got it done last sunday didn't seem winnable that's the outlier on the year um you know some of you uh, i'm sure want to go back and and, and say, well, they should have beaten Denver and they certainly had a chance against, you know, uh, well, I don't even know what you would say. It's, oh, the Chargers? Um, no, the truth is they were lucky to beat the Giants and Falcons early, too. They were not lucky to beat the Buccaneers last week and they were not lucky to win yesterday. They were the better team on both days. Ron Rivera has this team in late November starting to play its best football of the year and maybe about to get healthier. Logan Thomas. Uh, off the injured reserve, according to uh, the people on the beat, uh, Logan Thomas off the injured reserve and uh, and available to play on Monday night. Expected to return to practice this week. Actually, the report is not that he's off the injured reserve. The report is, and here it is, uh, of course, Rappaport that Logan Thomas is expected to return to practice this week and there's a chance that he could be activated as soon as Monday night. They've got a 21-day window to activate him, so maybe it won't be for this week. But it could be, it could be that Curtis Samuel's available for Monday night. He was nearly available yesterday. The injuries in the game, you know, uh, they lost another center. The offensive line still doing a great job mixing and matching and playing well. Um, they, the McKissick got banged up. Cosme got banged up. Um, look, it, it's, it's a, it's an, uh, it's an evolving thing in NFL season, man. It is so, uh, we talk about this every year. It's a week to week league. Just when you think something is absolutely etched in stone, it changes. We'll talk to Scott Van Pelt about that. Uh, next, uh, right after these words from a few of our sponsors.
2: you won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as J.J. does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Scott Van Pelt uh, is with us uh, for this segment. We're going to talk about a lot of different things. Um, I will start by just asking you: Who are the best teams in the NFL right now? If you had to wager today on the Super Bowl matchup, who would it be?
3: Today, um, I guess. I guess Green Bay and Kansas City.
1: Yeah, that's 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 a good one it's just so hard right now I mean I, I I don't know if this is how we feel every year I do have this sense that the years always end up being um this sort of you know evolving changing week to week kind of thing it just seems different this year it almost seems like there are more of these crazy um turn of events on teams uh I agree you do I, I
3: think this yeah, yeah, because I think you and I, for our whole lives that we've known each other, have laughed about no one knows anything about this league. But we typically say that in September and October. But by Thanksgiving, there's just way more clarity normally about who's really good. And I, I mean, I think Green Bay is really good. Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers was, was talking about his toe was really bothering him in the game yesterday. They, they lost a really good tackle in that game. Their defense has been pretty good uh, throughout most of the season, um, and, and I guess I just trust them. Uh, I mean, Tampa Bay's looked a little wobbly lately. The Rams' bad looks really bad when it's when, it, when it's there. I, Arizona's is this team that I just don't. I guess maybe I just haven't seen enough through the years to have total buy-in, but they just they, they largely keep winning games. Uh, they haven't had Murray for the last three, but then in the AFC, you know, people were writing the obit for the Chiefs, and now all of a sudden their defense looks. Yeah. Lights out in this window, uh, and and te- the Tennessee Titans, who I've lauded for all their wins, they've managed to lose to both the Jets and the Texans this year. Um, so I guess it's just weird to get this far down the road where there's there, there's still question marks and doubts about teams who have really good records, um, and other teams that we typically would be really buying uh, in, in in their entirety. That you're maybe there's still a little bit of hesitancy on on them for whatever reason. So I mean, I, I guess I, I guess I'm picking Green Bay, and Kansas City, just because I have trust in the guys that are their quarterbacks, and I, I've seen their defenses be be good for fairly significant stretches.
1: I mean, laying a double-digit point spread in the NFL, um, which I did yesterday with the Cleveland Browns, and I did it early because I knew it was going to go up because I knew Chubb was going to play. I didn't even know about Tim Boyle. I played it at 11, and they nearly lost the game to Tim Boyle in Detroit. Houston, uh, I, I, lo- I liked Houston not to win the game, but my producer and I on radio were talking last week, like, which of these, we knew it was going to happen, which of one of these big underdogs is going to win outright. And I said, you know, Jacksonville's a six and a half point dog, but I think it would sort of fit the, you know, shocker um, category, but it wouldn't, I said it would surprise me, but at this point, like, why not Houston? I mean, it's just, the the results over the last three or four weeks with the double-digit perceived awful teams, like Houston, like Jacksonville, like Cincinnati, uh, like the Jets a few weeks ago against Cincinnati, I think that this kind of run is unprecedented.
3: I agree with that. I, I, and I think I think what it speaks to is that the good teams just aren't nearly as good. Uh, they're just not as clearly defined. I think some of that's some of that's having maybe young quarterbacks. You know, I don't know. Maybe is it, is it Burrow's just in his second year in Cincinnati, so you don't know what you're going to get. I mean, maybe I'm just creating uh, something that explains what's inherently not explainable. But I, no, I agree. I mean, I just think that the run of, of double-digit dogs winning outright. You and I for years, like when we get to week sixteen, seventeen. And it's the old one team has nothing to play for it. But they almost always pull off a shocker. This year it's just started so much earlier. Um, and so I think it leaves question marks about who's really good. And it feels like for people uh, that do this, you know, have have places where they talk about stuff in um, podcast form, it, there's been a lots and lots of who's any good. Like every Monday, it's just this. It's this uh, re- rewind repeat well who's good beats the hell out of me man i like every week it feels like it's kind of it kind of it's a moving target
1: yeah i mean i mean i i think you have to give the giants a chance tonight at tampa
3: sure Definitely. why not
1: of course
3: not? i mean they, they, they were pretty competitive <laughs> when they went to kansas city on monday not a while back
1: yeah that was only three weeks ago i think um so green bay and kansas city which you know i think that's I think because of the two quarterbacks, um, I, I think that's as good a, as as a guess as any. Uh, I, I still kind of think that Tampa will figure it out, um, and in the AFC, I have no idea, but I'm not discounting New England anymore, but um, of the teams that are sitting there, let's just say 500 or worse, or, or you know, the Indy thing, they just uh, moved in front of, uh, you know, a game above 500. Give me mm-hmm. two teams from that level of pack that you think could make a deep run.
3: Minnesota. Um, Indianapolis for sure. Um, I like San Francisco. I feel I, – I, I, maybe it's because I, I like – maybe I like Shanahan more than I feel like other people do. Uh, and man, I think I, I like Garoppolo more than most people do too. I, I think he's more capable than than uh, a lot of people. T- people talk about him like he's a bum, and I'm thinking, you know, the guy's one third and twenty play against Kansas City away from being a Super Bowl winner, which doesn't mean that you're great forever. But anyway, I I like, like when I watch like San Francisco and Minnesota play. I want to say next week, um, and I feel like that's <laughs> they kind do. of an elimination. I feel like that's an elimination game in a sense for for one of them. You just can't have that many losses. Uh, but 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 both those teams, the way they play, um, and I, people probably you know people know your love of of cousins and you know uh, and Minnesota, but go go through their go through their results, and it's incredible how many games that they won they could have lost, and how many games that they lost they could have won. It feels like it's a weekly thing with them. Uh, but 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 with the Colts, with what Taylor's doing, uh, I mean, and their defense has been really good too. Uh, that I that's it. They might just play on the wrong division, on uh, the wrong conference, rather because I don't know what their record is, where that leaves them in the grand scheme. Uh, but I feel like teams like that all feel dangerous; like they do what you need to do to to make runs.
1: Yeah, I think I think one team in the NFC you didn't mention. Um, I think Philadelphia is very dangerous right now.
3: Uh, well, well, people people okay. Point, people put point out their schedule and they say, "Well, look at their schedule." And I get it. Um, it's the Jets two games with each with the Giants in Washington. But while we're at it, well, okay, Washington just beat Carolina and Tampa back to back. Yeah, they're pretty game lately. I mean, two games against them. What do you tell me? Philadelphia's better than Washington? Like, okay, based on what?
1: <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 I agree. I mean, I, before the New Orleans game last week, I said I, I think Philly really has a run in them because I think they're a good team, and I, that's my biggest prop bet uh, preseason prop bet. Actually, I had three of them. I had Philly over seven, Dallas over nine and a half, and Washington under eight and a half. Those were the three. Um, big prop bets that I made before the season, so I'm, I'm kind of rooting for Philly to get to eight. I think they're going to get to eight without much struggle. But Washington looks different now for sure, and the Giants are certainly capable. And they play the Jets. The you know it. it look, I, I'm. Looking at the schedule, I've always been, as you know, I've been like, stop looking at the schedule. It doesn't mean anything. Washington has Seattle coming into town, and then they play the Raiders. And three weeks ago, uh, that that looked like a daunting part of the schedule, and now it doesn't. So who knows what it'll look like. But I think Philadelphia, my God, they are running the football. Um, at such a high level. And Jalen Hurts, I don't know if you know this or if one of your 17 uh, stat people, producers, gave this to you. Jalen Hurts has the highest QBR in the NFL over the last six games, over the last six weeks. He is playing at a ridiculously high level as a dual-threat quarterback. He is uh, – well, and, and It's and, wild and got... to watch
3: him play, though. Like, he, he just – its it feels like a lot of sort of – like, the, the greatest neighborhood football player yeah. there's ever been. And I, I mean, like, when, when, like, I don't even know, kids don't play football anymore, I, or or do they? Like, the kids in the neighborhood say, you want to play football? Like, there was that one kid that you just snap it to him, and they kind of run around, and you couldn't get him. I mean, Hurts is, I mean, the design runs, and he's unstoppable. Uh, he's unbelievable. Um, and and I'm not marginalizing his talents as, as a thrower. It's just why bother when he's not tackleable <laughs> he's, he's able to do things um uh, and i love the 17 producer part like, like that's what we've got and we're, we're like macgyver we've got like four people trying to slap it together at midnight okay. on cable sure uh, we, we got a staff of 20 people for god's sake <laughs> um but uh, no, he's look he's he's, he's he, it's it's wild though because when it's when it's i feel like i've seen him in a few games where it doesn't work and you go man i don't know if this is, if you can do this I think I think you could say that about a bunch of a bunch of players in this league. I feel like when when you're good is good, you people like they want to endorse you, and then when you have an iffy performance, it's like oh, I don't know. But Hertz is definitely uh, not in the I don't know category.
1: Yeah, it's just it's interesting that three teams who are playing incredibly well right now—Philadelphia, Indianapolis, and New England—can really run the football. Um, and in a league that we, you know, we all have this default. Well, it's a passing league. You've got to be able to pass the football. And, and look, there's enough proof out there over the last several years um, to, to, uh, to support that, that notion that without the franchise quarterback, you're not going to do much. But you can win a lot of games running the football. Um, and Philadelphia is proving it right now. I think their backs, you know, Sanders back. Um, yesterday and Jordan Howard and I think Devontae Smith is really good and Goddard's good I I just think that they I don't know anything about their coaching staff but I think that they're a dangerous team they just they just ran for 250 yards against one of the better run defenses in the NFL Um,
3: yeah I don't it's it's interesting too because Boston Scott's the guy that got like they they lost Sanders for a couple of weeks and they managed to make it work now granted some of that you talk schedule, like they, 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 didn't they, I don't want to say they played Detroit. They, they did. Had a game where they, they played had a, Detroit. They the, yeah. They had like the most rushing attempts of any game this season. Cause it was just, again, it, it, the, the, Lions couldn't stop it. And, um, you know, it feels like they kind of got right there, but yeah, it, it is interesting to look at, look at them on the, in the mix. But if you're asking me, do I like Minnesota, San Francisco more in the NFC? Yeah. And that, you know, that's I, maybe that's just basically cause I've, I guess cause I've seen it before. Yeah. Um, out of them, I think th- I'm definitely guilty of that. Uh, it's it's just it's just harder for me to buy what I haven't seen. Maybe I think that's what it yeah. Is. And
1: the, uh, the the Vikings 49ers game, uh, I don't think it's an elimination game by any stretch, but I do think it'll kind of separate. the winner of that game, especially if that team's impressive, um, I think uh-huh. we'll be saying a week from today, well, that's going to be one of the wild card teams, um, and the loser will be in that chase for the for the last spot. Which, by the way. Washington has now entered that conversation um, with two two straight wins over Tampa and Carolina. And I just went through my, you know, entire game take, which I do every Mondays on radio and on this show. Um, Taylor Heineke, I think just played his best game, Uh, best all around game. I don't, I I mean, there've been a couple of good ones. Last week was a good one. I think this was his best game Uh, and they've won two in a row. Their season was dead on Halloween after a loss to Denver. Now, it's been brought back to life, at least temporarily. What do you think of them?
3: Here's what I'd say that, that's impressed me about about Heineke, and you go back to that clock eating drive against Tampa, where of course they go for it on fourth and short, and Gibson gets in and, and they win. It's the this league is is so so much of it's coin flip. You know, when you get in the red zone, do you get three or do you get seven? When it's third down and four, do you get a first down do you have to punt? Well, when you can get first downs, you don't have to punt. And when you can get touchdowns, you don't have to, you know, to set up a few goals. You know, that's the differentiator uh, often. And I feel like what Heineke's done uh, time after time in that Tampa game, and then what he did in particular, uh, went for it on fourth down a bunch uh, against Carolina yesterday. But, I mean, it's the throw, what was the last one, the bait, right? Yeah, 4 3 when touchdown. he ran, ran around and right. made well, a play, it, yeah. It, to me, it's him in a nutshell. Like, was the, yep. was, the, was it an on-schedule throw, you know, that looks pretty? No, it was everything about it was sort of improvised. And he's running around, I'm like, oh, he's got nowhere to go. And then he sort of stops and makes it, finds just a window to throw a ball. You complete it, you, and, you you know, you maintain possession of the ball. Yeah. Uh, like I, I mean, you've talked about it ad nauseum, I'm sure, just about the sort of guy's competitive fire. Wasn't in the league a year ago at this time. Blah 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 blah. Uh, I I just admire the 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 fight, right? In the fight, uh, and and I think they've won they won several games that were in that sort of could go either way um, spot. And he's he's helped. Is he a guy that you think you're building a franchise around for the long term? No, I don't think that's that that's probably not how you see him, but. As we've seen this year in particular, do you have a Colt McCoy that that can give you a chance to win um, when Kyler Murray's out? Well, he's won a couple, and he actually got crushed against Carolina, who Heineke just beat. I feel like Heineke's that guy. He's giving you an opportunity to win games. Uh, You're not losing because of him. And... um, you know, I don't know. It was it my imagination? Has the defense been a little bit better than it was earlier? Oh, it's played
1: know. its two best games by
3: far. That's back what I back. Yeah, it, it seems that way. I mean, yeah. I, I kind of being you know being um, sarcastic there, just because you know they enter the year with such expectation, and then it just didn't didn't start the way defensively anybody thought it would. But I mean, the net net of it is, they're uh, you know they're uh, it's it's Thanksgiving week and. You're entertaining dogs that well. Maybe they'll have games that matter. Yeah, and as you said, a month ago that was that would have been laughable. So good for them. You know, the
1: goal. I think I've told you this before, but basically. For all of us, um, you know, at the station over the years, given the just train wreck of a franchise that we've had to endure here, it's just get us to Thanksgiving with mathematical hope. And then, you know, we can talk about, you know, having games that matter. But really, more importantly, for our sales department year in and year out, it gave them a much better opportunity to, you know, um, sell in the in the fourth quarter of the, uh, of the, of the sales calendar, because if they were out of it before Thanksgiving, which has been several years, it really hurt revenue. Um, but, uh, the, the, ratings, you know, would, would, would be impacted by them being completely out of it, but revenue would be impacted more. But anyway, they are here. I mean, I essentially said the competitive portion of the season was over on Halloween this year when they lost to Denver because it was Tampa after the break and so I figured that's two and seven um and they were a bad team they were a bad football team two weeks ago. they really were and now the last two games they're playing like they're you know a, a decent team uh right and now
3: you have and now you have a Seattle team coming in that looks as as broken as they've looked under Pete Carroll so you know there's a path to five and seven that's right in front of you that that again gives you, there's a uh, path you're, you're to six not.
1: and six. The Raiders aren't very good right now.
3: Yeah, you're right. Mean, I said four and seven. No, that they're, it's, they're, they've played one less game because of the buy. You're right. <laughs> well, the Raiders they look a little bit wobbly as well. So, but I mean, again, the minute you the, the minute you start buying the stock is the minute that the team begins to tank. So I think it's you know they as much as anybody are the team best taken in week to week increments, and the most recent ones that they've given you um, give give reason to at least be optimistic that. You know
1: they're not going to be uh, out of it. The NFL right now is really entertaining. It's yeah, really, totally. it's really incredible. And in and what's great and I, I was saying this earlier this morning. You know, because of the seventeenth game, th- this thing has another month and a half just in the regular season. You know, you got yep. seven. Most teams have seven games left. So it's almost nearly still half the season, you know, uh, of an old season exists. They're going to play till January 9th, second weekend in January. And it is, it just seems wide open. Um, one more NFL question, because I debated, the, the debated it earlier this morning with my producer on radio. Um, is there an obvious MVP candidate at this point?
3: Uh, wow.
1: There isn't. I mean,
3: no. I, I mean, I, 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 I'd say, um, I mean, it, this is, this is, it, the, the, Otis the dog. Just, hold on a second.
1: Oh, Otis can do whatever he wants to do.
3: Otis the dog. Hey.
1: Otis is the best. How
3: are you? Scott's dog? Yeah, is, is terrific. Yeah. Um, he's uh, he's old though. No, no, at the moment, no. I mean, I think Jonathan Taylor at the mm, at the yeah. uh, at the rate he's on. If they um, if they continue winning games and he I mean I'm not talking about scoring five touchdowns every game but he is just he looks like he's just found another gear and Reich has found just uh, the kind of belief in him where they're just going to ride him until the wheels fall off uh, you know he if, if he propels them to the playoffs but I mean you know you're normally not talking about a, like the best guy on a fringe playoff team you're normally talking about the best guy on the, the best team but As we were just saying, like, who's the best team right now? Who's the team that every week you know who it is? So, no, I don't feel like there's one sort of singular player that you point to and go, that's the one right there. There he is.
1: I I asked it because I debated this morning that John Taylor Jonathan Taylor is definitely in the conversation now. Now the odds Brady Brady's a, you know after Allen's performance yesterday Brady is the new favorite. Josh Allen was last week. It's Brady, Allen, Stafford, Prescott, Mahomes, Rodgers, Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert um and then Jonathan Taylor c- uh, comes in. Well, so um, so you just
3: you're just saying quarterbacks to play on good teams. So, I, I mean the last two games that that, that, that uh, the Tampa Bays played against New Orleans and Washington you know I mean Brady was uh, yeah
1: I I know that but but it's usually a quarterback award and that's why but I think Taylor has a really good chance because I think Derrick Henry if he hadn't gotten gotten hurt would probably right now be the favorite
3: I would I would agree uh and, and it's just it's wild it's the point you made earlier about teams that are that are running it well New England being sort of Exhibit A that you don't have to have the gaudy numbers of quarterback to, to, to win games, but you need to have other things you can kind of lean on, obviously. But, uh, yeah, no, that, that, it's like everything else. I mean, I to, the, the the MVP race is wide open because there isn't one team that you point to here. Thanksgiving week and go them. They're the ones right now. Look at them.
1: All right, let's switch the sub- subject. Um, okay. oh, Ohio State demolished Michigan State on Saturday. That was, they, uh, for those that didn't watch, Ohio State had 500 yards in the first half against Michigan State on Saturday with a 49 to nothing lead. 500 yards they had in a half. Now, they only ended up with 655 yards because they took their foot off the gas because they didn't need to do anything. Um, After this past weekend, Cincinnati is going to be in the top four, don't you think, when we get the college football rankings tomorrow night? Yes. Uh, Okay, so that means if they win out, they're in?
3: I have to think so. I mean, I, I've gone through all the mental gymnastics of trying to figure out what, like, say Georgia and Bama play a classic, right? Say they play a game like equivalent to to the national title game, where it's, it's it's an overtime game, or it's a fourth quarter back and forth game, or whatever else. I mean, is the committee going to try to talk itself into two loss Bama over unbeaten Cincinnati? Um, knowing that they're going to make them play again because they because Bama would get in at four with two losses, knocking out a win a, a, an unbeaten Cincinnati team. I just I can't think that they would try that hard to do it when you would just have seen the game. I mean, does it make it kind of unfair for Bama or Georgia uh, the Georgia Bama game to be a, uh, an eliminator? Well, I mean, tough shit. If you've got two losses and you're out, I mean, sorry. I mean, SEC gets more benefit of the doubt than anybody. Um, but outside of them, like, who's it going to be, you know, the ACC has nobody that's in the conversation, the team Stanford, Steve and I were talking about last night. He's like, if Oklahoma state, yeah. you know, puts on a show here at the end, maybe, but I'm like, so, so they're allowed to lose, lo- lose to Iowa state. And, and what, what are we going to say is their win it's the big eye opener because Cincinnati is going to say we beat Notre Dame and Notre Dame's still there. The Notre Dame's lurking around on the fringes right now too, but there's no path for Notre Dame that doesn't include a Cincinnati loss. Um, so I have to like, and I hope for them that there is just, if for no other reason, then you get a chance to, sh- to see the, 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 the small, the smaller conference teammate they, 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 they it, the non-Power five team, like give me something different. I mean, I, I don't, you know nothing personal against Notre Dame or like I've seen it. You guys have been there a bunch. You know, I mean, I might as well see Cincinnati take their shot. Uh, and they did play Georgia in a bowl game last year. Right. I know people opted out, blah blah blah. But like they would have game planned for this team. They've sort of seen them. They would have shared the field with them once before. I mean, uh, they'd be a big underdog. But so be it. I mean, if they don't make it, then what's the fucking point for any of these teams?
1: Um, well, the, you, you mentioned the Georgia Bama thing. That's not what's going to knock Cincinnati, Cincinnati out. in a, a Bama team that plays Georgia close and gets in. It's going to be if it's going to be a Cincinnati loss or a Cincinnati versus Oklahoma State conversation. That's really all it can be at this point to knock Cincinnati I, out.
3: I don't ever I don't ever discount the mental gymnastics that on we Notre go to try to, put, to try to put in a brand name like Bama even if they lost.
1: No, but I'm Bama – what I'm saying is if Bama loses a close game, they and Cincinnati – Bama losing a close game to Georgia isn't going to knock Cincinnati out if they keep Bama. the If Cincinnati wins out, the only team – I think that can knock them out would be Oklahoma State looking right. outrageously impressive the rest of the way, which would include a win in, in in the Bedlam game, a Big 12 title game, and then they would try to get a one loss team, who by the way is pretty damn good on defense, um, in there. Notre Dame can't trump Cincinnati. They lost head to head. No one else can. You know, so I I, I think Bama you know, has a shot losing a close game, but that wouldn't be at the expense of Cincinnati, is my point.
3: Who would it be at the expense of? Uh,
1: it, well, since, again, Cincinnati to me is in if they went out now. Um, Cincinnati could be trumped only by Oklahoma oh, they, State.
3: You're saying they would try to put Bama in if they lost, and so did Cincinnati to say Houston or something. That'd be the only way. Like, Cincinnati would have to lose. You're saying Bama can't get in if, if Cincinnati, if they lose. No, I'm saying,
1: I, I'm saying Bama can get in if Cincinnati runs the table.
3: But then who are they knocking out? If Bama would knock Who's out o- would over? knock
1: out Oklahoma State, Notre Dame, and on the eye test.
3: You're not making any sense. There's already Georgia, Ohio State. Alabama Bama and
1: Cincinnati. And Cincinnati. Yes. So
3: Alabama's in. Alabama loses and they're in over who?
1: I just said if Alabama loses, they're oh, okay, still okay, in okay. over an Oklahoma State or a Notre Dame conversation, it. but not Cincinnati with two right, losses if it. Cincinnati's undefeated. Okay.
3: Who do you like better? Ohio State's offense or Georgia's defense head to head?
1: I was gonna ask you, that was my next question. Who do you think would be favored right now in the game? What would the what would the line be? Do you know what it is Georgia. Have,
3: by how many? I don't know. I'm just guessing. It's I'm a guessing it's,
1: it's, it's a it's a short favorite
3: yeah really sure, but I mean look the fa- and you 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 and I were talking on uh Saturday, and you said oh, Ohio state's going to be favored by a number that's going to be smaller than people think against Michigan and you're yep. right it's only it's <laughs> only eight it's seven it
1: was seven and a half yeah
3: right but but that but if that's given what Ohio state's doing, and what they did to, to Michigan state, I just want to mention that like that was such a that's just such a jarring illustration of what the sport is now Michigan State and I don't know if it's happened yet but the reports were that they were ready to pay Mel Tucker 95 million dollars yeah 95 million bucks and god bless Mel Tucker he is a a a respected coach and respected name that when I asked my friends down south LSU Florida like hey if you if you guys and this was back in the fall if you guys run somebody who would you be interested without hesitation Mel Tucker's name was like right there you know, I coached in the SEC. Like, he, he's a guy that is, whether he stays at Michigan State for that big dough or somebody else comes in and offers him a truck, he's going to get that money. But what I'm getting at is, you're Michigan State, and you're willing to give $95 million to a guy that played the portal game incredibly well last off season, put together a team that, that really improved from a year ago in the, in the COVID year to this year, and they go to Ohio State, and they don't have a prayer. And not only that, I mean they got beat the way Maryland got beat. I mean, just destructed. And Michigan, Ohio State did whatever they they scored, they scored touchdowns on the, six, the first six drives. No,
1: and it was the no, easiest thing. You no, ever the, saw. The, first, the first seven they scored. They went seven for seven in the first half. Right,
3: you're right. And it and it was <laughs> and it was just it was the ease with which they did whatever they wanted to do. And my point here is not that Michigan State should should feel like they shouldn't give Mel Tucker money, but I'm like, okay, if you're willing to give him that, then what's Saban um Ryan Day and Dabo and people that have won title of the world, what are they worth? But but you're paying 95 million bucks to have to, ha- to have no chance to ever beat Ohio State? Because that's what you've got. No chance to ever beat them like this. But neither does neither does most people in the Big Ten. Maybe Michigan and Ann Arbor this week, maybe. Um, but my God, the difference between them and and, and the entirety of the Big Ten that, that's the dirty little secret about the Big Ten is that people want to paint it as being competitive because, you know, Ohio State uh, has lost a couple of games here and there to Penn State, like the whiteout game on a block field goal. And, and Penn State's battled them. They've, play, they've been competitive in games. But they, Ohio State's been as dominant in the Big Ten as Clemson was in the ACC. Right. And, and that was viewed as the ACC stinks and Clemson's great. Well, who's, who's really battled Ohio State? They've got a few close games here and there. Wisconsin played a close game for a half against them in the Big Ten. <laughs> Northwestern titles. actually
1: battled them know, in the Big Ten did. title was,
3: game last year. That, that, yeah. yeah, and that had people saying Justin Fields was I don't know about this guy, and right. then, you know, he went out and lit up Clemson, and then he went you know as high as he went. But what, what I was, I'm rambling here. It's just like Ohio State is so far beyond the rest of that league. Like Harbaugh's never beaten them, never beaten them. <laughs> I and kn- guess what? I'm going to have Michigan this week, plus the points just on general. Uh, I, I, know. Because, I know, I know, because of everything I just said. You know, the fact that that number is what it is makes me think. You know, Michigan, Michigan's likely to just t- to make it a four quarter game. Um, but it's 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 it was just astounding to see. And I picked Ohio State, and a you know winter segment that we do. Um, I picked them against Purdue, and I picked them against Michigan State because I'm like, look, they're going to truck these teams because um, their offense is just. Alabama's best receiver was a guy that transferred from Ohio State. Like, how the hell was he in their wide receiver?
1: <laughs> I know, I know, it's crazy.
3: They had the five first round receivers but, on the field. But,
1: but what, what you're saying, you you know that these are the conversations we've had and you know on saturday i'm sitting there and corbin my son is like come on i mean it's it's georgia and ohio state this isn't even close like no one else maybe bama is in their league and, and it's a joke in the big 10 he's saying the same thing and i um, and i said to him i said you watch this michigan line and he said and, and corbin who's very much aware of point spreads and guessing point spreads pretty accurately he said it's 14 i said no it's not i said it's 10 oh. or, it's 10 or less And when it came out at seven and a half, I that was even lower than I thought, which gives me belief that Michigan can play um, play it tough. But here's what I was going to say. You know, yeah, that's where they are right now. But that's where Clemson was up until this year. So it can turn quickly. And I don't know what it is. I think it's the quarterback. You know, I think if you end up with just an average or less than average quarterback, it can really change the results. Because I think Clemson's got a very average quarterback for the first time in a while. And they have struggled this year. They have re- they, they have not looked like Clemson. Remember, they opened as the number two team in America this year.
3: Yeah, I know. And everybody thought that Uyunglele was going to just be the next right. Lawrence. And I think that, I think that's what makes – the, the sustained run of Alabama to me so impressive is that they, you know, it's, you know, Tua leaves and then Mac takes over and then people like Mac is sort of a system guy and then it's like, well, I don't know. He just went first round to Bill Belichick wanted him. And then you'd be like, okay, well, here's this Bryce young guy. I don't know cool. what he is. Oh, okay. he's pretty much the same kind of deal. And the idea that, that, that you just go from, you know, at Ohio State, you go from Haskins to Fields and from Fields to Stroud. And Stroud, I remember early on, he didn't look the part. No, not, not a, in the opener. He looked a little bit wobbly. And, and they lose at home to Oregon. And Oregon didn't have their best defensive lineman in that game. And, right. and you, go, you, you know, you see, the way op- the, you see the way Ohio State's offense is operating now. And you just shake your head that that happened. You know, teams full of young, young people are allowed to get better. They have. Um, but just to circle back to what I, th- I assume that the, the, the buy-in of what Georgia's defense is um, is such that they'd be a very small favorite. I could be wrong, um, but you know what's interesting about Georgia? As you take, you know, you take. A, I know they're really good because I have eyes and I can see what they've got on defense. It's, it's, it's horrifying. What's their best win? No, they you're beat?
1: right. You're right. We were. T- I was talking about this with Corbin the other day. They don't have a signature win this year. I mean no, and it's, given it's, it's, the it's, given the way Arkansas just played Bama on uh, uh, you know they they annihilated they annihilated Arkansas which is now yeah. what um, 2 months ago almost um but you're right I mean and they're not going I mean it, Bama's going to be the first team that they play that's really good we'll see
3: but but you know what you I'm glad I'm glad you said that because I I've been way too I've been way too casual with the, who who's their best win and I do think Arkansas has has shown um I mean, they showed a lot of fight uh, on Saturday against uh, Alabama. They were a twenty-one point dog, and that was that was a four-quarter, I mean, legitimate fight. So,
4: yeah.
3: um, look, I, I mean, I, I think I think we're on the same page here. I feel I feel like Bam has shown a, enough sort of vulnerability where they, they're not Nick's best team, um, but I mean, they're going to get they're going to get uh, Georgia in a couple weeks in Atlanta, and you know that's essentially a, a, a semifinal. Buy-in game, game. I mean, Georgia would be in even if they lost, but uh, the, just, the, just the fact that there are several teams that are that I think Georgia and Ohio State clearly are playing on a plane above others, but that Ohio State has a game this week that you and I both believe Michigan's going to compete in. Um, I don't know this sports, the sports never end. Yeah, and and, uh,
1: and, and then they, and then it's Wisconsin more likely than not. And they, they boy, Nebraska. They look different. I know they. they
3: is the most fascinating team in America. Like their record's horrible, but my god, they're competitive. They fight. They fight, and, and I'm glad they kept Scott Frost. Me too. On, our, on our podcast, Steve and I were saying this. Like, I get it. You're mad. But don't do the dumb thing. Don't do the zillion-dollar buyout to, to get somebody that's not going to make you any different than you than you are. You're really close to being what you want to be. You're competing in a, on a week-in, week-out basis. Um, you're in these games, and you're you're close. People are paying attention. I think you can see what, what Nebraska is. They're close to being, you know – A whole lot better record-wise, and you 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 know look at Florida; they're in the SEC. Well, I was just going to ask you, did
1: did what what? I mean, I'm shocked by this. I Dan Mullen to me is a very very good coach and that team has been really good and nobody really gave Bama a game like they did in the SEC title game last year and here he is you know what is his record something like 40 and 15 and he's out
3: I want to say we did it on sports and I want to say it's 34 and 15 34 and
1: 15
3: something like that but I mean, you know, you know, my bride and her family are all—they're all, all Gators—and they're like, "Yeah, it was time." And it's like, time. you know, that's—that's the way it goes. That's how it goes in that league, man. Like SEC title game last year, but look, the bottom fell out, man. They got beat by South I Carolina. Know. They gave up a billion to Samford Sanford. with an M, and then they lost to Missouri. And I mean, he hadn't recruited at the level that they, you know, that that, that they were hoping to see. Uh, him recruit at what? Georgia's what's the issue pattern. with him? What is the issue? I don't with know. Him? I don't know. I uh, th- is there something
1: be- we're missing? Because I think as an offensive, um, uh, as an offensive coordinator, play caller, he's one of the best.
3: I I I tend to agree. Um, I think it could have been a little smartest guy in the room syndrome. Like that's the thing I, I was told by a lot of people that you know he's, he was pretty sure he, he he had it all figured out. And again, I'm just sort of re- repeating what was how it was relayed to me. Um, but I just, I think, I think what happens in this sport, um, is, I mean, Ed Orger (laughs) won a title two years ago. He's out. Um, it's just the spiral, especially in the SEC, like it picks up speed and warp speed. And then before you know it, it's like, it just implodes. And, and now there's like, look at it. There's three great jobs. Like if you do the, what are the best jobs in college football? Like, Florida, LSU, and, Alabama, and uh, USC are, are on it,
1: and like, it could like, be and it could it. be Penn State.
3: Well, and that's that's the secondary thing because those three are open. and And I said this the other night on the show: like I don't feel like there's one obvious guy. Like in the years past, like when Urban go way back to when he was at Utah, everybody was trying to figure out how to get him. Tom Herman was the guy LSU and um and Texas were fighting over, and it was who's going to win the Tom Herman sweepstakes. There isn't a guy like that that's out there. So almost certainly, you know, Jimbo's defiant. I am not leaving, I'd be the dumbest guy in the world to leave this recruiting class. Well, okay, I, maybe he's going to stay, or maybe LSU will just go tell us what the number is, and he goes to LSU. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but they got to hire somebody. And, and you know, maybe James, if, if James were to leave Penn State for one of these jobs, then now the Penn State job becomes open. And, you know, I've heard some interesting names thrown around. Me too. Um,
1: Matt really, Rule. Real, Matt, really, Matt
3: Rule. Yeah. That's a good one. Um
1: What are the other names you've heard about Penn State?
3: None about Penn State. No, just no. other n- n- names am not it's not for conversation here. Okay. I just I just it um, I'll tell you off the air. Okay. And it was, put it this way, it'll be another significant domino uh in the college game if if uh if and then, and I'm certain that'll happen because these jobs like they're not like the guy Napier at Louisiana, people really like that guy, and I think he's gonna get a big time job. Is it one of these three? I don't think so. Um, so my guess is they're, they're going to have to poach a big-time coach from some school, which means that that that, that means that opens another job. So this this college football offseason, already you know who the three big ones are. They're almost surely going to create other ones. Uh, and then the ripple effect is what it is.
1: So uh, for you Virginia Tech people out there, because we have a lot of Virginia Tech alum that listen to the show, Shane Beamer is doing a phenomenal job at South Carolina. I just wanted to mention that because early in the year I watched them and they were horrendous.
3: Horrendous. Well, they had a grad and, assistant playing quarterback.
1: Yeah. And they are bowl eligible um, after beating Auburn uh, the other day and they yeah. smoked Florida 2 weeks ago. Um He did
3: go he, ahead. him in the locker room with his guys was really cool uh, after they beat Auburn. I mean, that 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 was a hell of a job he did. But like you gonna leave? You gonna leave Columbia after one year? No, go pack, no. Well, I, I don't mean, think so.
1: but it's amazing because South Carolina is a great job. But in, in that league, like just the thought of Jimbo leaving to go to LSU. To be honest with you, I I don't think there's any difference in that job because you know the Texas A and M and the Texas A and M money is insane. Um, I don't You're know. Right. I don't. I don't know why Jimbo would leave A and M to go to LSU. A couple more college things real quickly, and then I want to move on to something else. Um, what's up with Maryland football? I mean that was a name your score situation for Michigan on Saturday. Uh, It's been ugly here since the early portion of the season. What's what's going on? And and you know by the way they're favored over Rutgers. I can't. I don't get that. I don't get that. I don't. I
3: don't don't get it. Uh, (laughs) The the fact that they're favored. Steve and I joked back in the fall that that if Maryland had a, a, a. win in Piscataway to be bowl eligible that we, we were going to have to get a, we're going to charter a helicopter come in hot to Piscataway <laughs> for the game like Saturday. No, don't do that. Uh, I'm not getting Because yeah,
1: Ohio State and Michigan's on at the same time.
3: Yeah. I'm not, I'm not getting yeah. a helicopter to go yeah. to, to the, uh, to Piscataway. Uh, the thing that, the thing that's troubling is um, like I just, I, I was talking about uh, Nebraska earlier, like, their their records, what it is, but but watch and play Ohio State, watch and play uh, Wisconsin. Uh, they're competitive, you know. They're in these games. It's they're they're in these games till the bitter end. Now there's part of that that's a little more painful because you you're thinking maybe you're going to get there and you don't. Um, you know, Maryland's add up the Michigan, Michigan State, uh, oh, Wisconsin, man, uh, ugly. Iowa. Uh, I mean, the Penn State game, the final was was much. Uh, worse than it actually was. That was actually the rare close game. It was 14-0 in the fourth quarter. But it's the fact that they're, um, you know, they're just, they're not not competitive uh, at all in in these games. And um, it's just, it's just, it's exasperating to not see, you know, some growth, to feel like, Can come with you. Just don't see it, and and that's uh, that's really really disappointing. And I know it's disappointing to to Coach Loxley as well. Um, you know they recruited well a year ago. Uh, they got they are young. They've had insane amounts of injuries. Uh, there are a lot of things that happen. It's just amazing to go back to to unfortunately Dante Damas getting injured, fumbling the football inside the ten yard line in a in a ten to seven game against Iowa. And it's like the bottom fell out in that in that moment because up to that point they played a quarter where. They had the lead against Iowa after the first quarter, and just like, all right, this is this is what you want to see. And Dante, you know, Dante got hurt. Um, they fumbled the ball. Iowa scored, and they, then they scored fifty. And then it was just like, um, from there, it's they, you know, they they won the one game that they were favored in, and now if they can win this game that they're favored against Rutgers, they'll make a bowl. And that's and that is progress. You know, if you get another month of practice, you get a, something that's a, a carrot at the end of the finish line. You say, hey, listen. We make a bowl. Uh, we, we hunker down this off season. We see what we can find transfer wise to you know, shore up some areas, and and then you know you enter a make or break I think season for for Mike Loxley, don't you? I mean it's a season where you you need to see something where you feel like you are you're able to compete. Um, are you supposed to beat Ohio State? No, you're not supposed to. I, I'm I'm not saying that, um, but to give yourself chances to be you know to be competitive, you know you. It has to happen at some point, point. Um, and it it just didn't. And again, injuries, sure, uh, they, they, that happened, and, and okay. there's no denying the impact right. they have. Right. But
1: uh, you're, we, it, I, I got it. I think everybody has it. I mean, I I think the biggest issue with them is that they they certainly don't have the horses to compete with the upper echelon of the conference. But nope. I think there's a, a, a whole lot of self-infliction in these games. I mean, they are no penalized doubt. to a level that is just at times painful um, to watch, especially the last two weeks. I mean, good God, another illegal formation or illegal shift. you got to get that right. Somehow that, that's, right. that's got to be corrected. You can't have four of those a week. Um, and it's just um, it's, 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 it's a lack of disciplined football. Uh, and they've got some athletes, as we know, by the way, that number nine, the tight end. I mean, he's, he is, he's a, he's a second or third rounder. I I would, I would guess I haven't seen any mock, you know, tight end, uh, um, draft board uh, stuff, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, you know, here's all you need. This is the problem with this too, is that. Early in the season, two times in the last three years, there's been you know, some momentum, and then it's ended with a thud. The Penn State game two years ago, the Iowa game this year, and it sent it into a tailspin. And you just forget about it. I mean, nobody wants this to happen more than you and I. I'm watching other games when Maryland's on because they're over almost immediately. Um, yeah, it, so
3: it, it's rough. And you, listen, I, I'm not making excuses. You're right. It, and and, and Locks knows it's on him. It's like you got to button up the basic stuff. You got to. You got to. You can't be penalized. You got to value the football. I mean these these are these are day one things. Those things have to get better, uh, and that's part and that's part and parcel with growth. Um, so I mean, look, they they got they got a game to make it to a bowl, and that would represent growth. And I, I hope for them uh, that, that they are able to get the victory on Saturday and 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 enter into the off season with uh with something to, to feel positive about.
1: Um, what is, so which sh- <laughs> I mean. I – just switching the subject uh, right now to hoops. Um, I do want to ask you about the Wizards. Give me your quick thoughts on the Wizards. Aren't they entertaining? And do you think they're well, a I'm, good team?
3: Yes, I do. I think the East. It, it's fascinating how how quickly the East has gone from being garbage to having teams like right. You know the Knicks. I mean, it, it was it was wild to see New York City acting like like wins in October were meant they were you know going to the finals. But I I love when New York's excited about its sport teams. Uh, it's sports teams, and they were. Uh, they're they're like nine and eight now, but the Bulls, who were who were awful, are really good. Um, Atlanta made it to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. They got a ton of young talent. Uh, but you asked me about the Wizards. I I, I really like the people on the team. Um, and Shepard just got an extension. He last did. Week, didn't
1: he? Yep, promotion and extension.
3: It. Totally deserved. And he it. deserves every good for them for recognizing and rewarding that because, like, look at look at what they managed to turn Russell Westbrook into. Like think about that. Yeah. He managed to unload the walls contract, which I don't. I I'll never understand how that happened. But just I love Montrezl Harrell. I love how hard he plays. Um, I, I just when he played with Patrick Beverly, who's a guy who's been oh, on my show a bunch. Like it was like two guys that were Insane. the most relentless, competitive, just the most ferocious competitive yeah. spirit. And I love them both. Um, and having Montrezl, like he's been a difference maker in games. And Dinwiddie's another guy with a chip, you know, that, on his shoulder that, like, felt like he was never going to be the guy. in Brooklyn, there's too, much, there's too much juice there. So, fine, I'll get my money and go be a guy someplace else. But, you know, where, are, where do they fit in in the East? You ask, you know, I ask, uh, by the way, I had J.J. Redick in studio last week. Yeah, yeah. no, you Excellent. told me.
1: How, was he, so he good? good. I, did, I didn't see it.
3: So good. And he's going to be on a bunch with us throughout good. the year. And he said, look, in the East, it's still Milwaukee. It's Philadelphia. Why
1: was he in town? It's,
3: Ah, uh, to, came to do our show. Oh, he did. Okay. Uh, yeah, and so it's Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Miami, and I'm forgetting some obvious good team in the East. Uh, uh, well, Brooklyn. Thank you. Jesus, flip. Yeah. But he's like it's those are the four, and he, so he said, you know, just being honest about, you know, all hands on deck. Those are the four, but you know, Washington's a, a team who's going to be no fun for one of those teams to have to deal with in the playoffs, and and it, that makes it way more fun. Like and Chicago's right there on the fringe of that. So um, it's I'm just. The East fun, but I just think it's cool to watch the Wizards. It's fun being here, uh, and you know, being able to turn on the, lo- the local broadcast, being able to watch both of them and the Caps. I've done a bunch of that when I've been around at night, so it's uh, it's it's fun.
1: Um, all right, last one. Actually, um, sorry about that too. Uh, Maryland so far, hoops. Not good. Hoops. Not good. Really
3: scary. Really concerning. Okay. Go ahead. And- Well, I mean, you you (laughs) look—you got a bunch of new pieces, and Mm -hmm. you know it's figuring out how they fit together, and you got you got time to figure it out. But I mean, you know, I don't know. GW game, you go. All right, maybe GW is good. Check GW since they played Maryland.
1: Well, Maryland was in—they were sort of in control of that game. I mean, weren't they up twenty at one point or close to it?
3: It's not, GW? No, it was a close trailed at the half and Yeah, a, at know, the
1: half know. and then they didn't they open it up in the second half. I uh, thought they no. No. Okay.
3: no, they beat Vermont by double digits in the end. Yeah, AMG. at the very end. Vermont and, yeah. and, and Vermont Vermont's a good team. Becker's Becker's an excellent coach. But like like the GW game you're like, all right, well maybe GW is good. No, they I don't think they won a game sense. Okay, well Mason, well Kim English, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of folks uh like his uh, his his stars on the rise in coaching. I agree. Um well, maybe they're really good. Okay. Well, they went and lost to Madison, and yeah, well, That was out. predictable. I gave that out free of charge. Of course, you understand how the game's played. Yeah. But but forget any of that. Just look at look at what do they have, and and how does it go together? Well, this week with a game against Richmond, who's I think the most experienced team in the country, uh, and then either the winner or loser of Louisville, Mississippi State, then Virginia Tech, then I want to say northwestern and then i think four i think those are your next five well now you're these are all games at your weight class so you got five games before your conference season really gets going to kind of identify what you are and figure out what pieces fit together i mean wahab if how can he not be on the floor like you got to figure out some kind of way to get that guy on the floor and i'm sure in the big ten he will be um but i mean they're not shooting the ball well. They're just look. They're just not playing well, and there's no other way to say it other than that they haven't played well. So uh, they got stuff to figure out. Playing
1: yeah, else? I mean it's um, it's November, and like we said, it, I mean al- almost the exact conversation that we started this with about the NFL applies to college basketball in November. It's really it's a major head fake. It, it doesn't mean that it's going to turn around, but um, Look, last year they started the Big Ten schedule off from one and five. They ended up in the NCAA tournament and yeah, one and a game. They, And he did he did, um, he, did a, he did a
3: remarkable job yeah. with that team to figure out what they were. Yeah, and, and, and um, and they did. By the way, they did figure it out. And 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 I, the, and they can figure this out, but they have to. They have stuff to figure yeah. out like that. I don't. I'm not. I agree. I know the Big John quote that you reference often yeah. about November basketball, and and I'm not turning this into, um, you know. Like this has hit a panic meter, uh, panic button, or whatever the hell the term is. It's just if you're asking me how they've looked, I'd say they don't really. shoot I'm well not impressed
1: either. I'm not impressed, but well, but the, but Hofstra nearly beat Houston on the road. They had a 13 point lead, lost in overtime. I
3: understand, but you're doing that. You, I, I, you're right, I, but you're but exactly I'm just right.
1: I'm I, just it. saying they've actually played. The, the, the teams that they've played so far, with the exception of, of uh, the, their opener in GW, the other three teams, Vermont, Mason, and Hofstra, I have no idea where they're going to end up. But my guess is all three of them will end up near um, – it, certainly in the top half of their leagues, if not the top third. I'm not going to say that they're going to – Maybe gonna, so. You know,
3: maybe, maybe so. But I, I think – listen. In Maryland and I get Maryland fans don't give a belief about anybody else, nor should they. But if if you're looking around the conference right now, you're like, oof, like Michigan lost at home to Seton Hall. They got trucked by Arizona. Yeah, uh, wow. I, I Ohio State lost uh, at Xavier. Um, but I mean, look, those are at least games against people. I keep using the term weight class. M- maybe these these Vermont Hofstra type teams are. are no,
1: you're be right. For- you're right. I'd rather I'd rather the losses. It, it, there'd be less panic. If the loss was in the Gavitt games to Xavier and you know on a neutral floor to Arizona, I get it. Or Villanova, right? Um, they just
3: they just haven't they haven't looked they haven't looked good, right. and so they've got games coming up where they have an opportunity to you know hopefully uh, hopefully have it fit together better, play with play with some more confidence, and figure out whose roles are what, and uh, and then you go from there. So you know, that's where that's where
1: that is. I feel like we've had this conversation so many times together on radio or on podcasts. So it's not going to be a long one. But for those that don't know, Len Bias was inducted into um, the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame uh, yesterday. So good for for, I don't know what took so long. Um, I'm sure it was a lot, uh, uh, you know, of, of stuff surrounding, you know, the details surrounding his death. But as you know, uh, the two of us could sit here and talk about him and the games for hours uh, as we have before, but I'll just ask you for your single most memorable Len Bias uh, memory.
3: Senior day against Virginia, senior day against Virginia. Um, the, 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 they'd lost to Virginia down in u Hall in Charlottesville, old colonies had blocked his shot. And, uh, and Lenny like fell down and on the ground like and slid backwards and Old Polonies went and got in his face and uh, I, I told this story I think I told it like I did the Ringer podcast um, about this and I, I I told this story there I, I remember the the they played uh, Virginia on the Senior Day and um and there's a sequence and it's you can it's on YouTube like the game's on YouTube yeah. you can find if there's a sequence where Polonies gets it and, and uh, Leonard blocks his shot screams and. Virginia maintains possession and the, the play keeps going. And it, Leonard basically stopped playing and was just screaming and pointing his finger in his face and screaming in his, in his ear. Like, you mother. You know, I mean, you know, he was telling them like, what the deal was. And they ended up blocking another shot. The ball ends up in the hands of Jeff Baxter. He throws an alley up to Speedy Jones. Terry Hall and calls timeout. And for the entire timeout, one half of Cole's chance land, the other half chance bias. And he was just tremendous in that game. And it's what's incredible about it, Kevin, is it, was a, it might as well be 100 years ago for how the game's played now. He stayed for four years. We we got to enjoy that guy and watch him go from the dude that hit the shot against Tennessee Chattanooga in the yeah. tournament to win the game to being the best player in the ACC tournament uh, when they won the tournament to, you know, well, who he became in that last year where he was, you know, should have been the national player of the year um, and became just a, a, such a, 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 a remarkable force in this sport and good enough to be picked and coveted by Red Auerbach. But like in that one day, like we got to celebrate one last game of that dude. And to me, that that's the personification of him. Like he held on to that grudge. With polonies he evened the score. He he was the best player on the floor, and for you know an entire timeout, one half chance, Len, one half chance Bias, and uh I mean I've I've described him this way over and over. I I always say he's like the fish story that was real, you know. You talk about oh, I remember we this, this I caught this fish and it must have been this big, right? Your hands are this far apart, and I was like, you didn't catch it. It was no way the fish was that big. Like Len Bias was that big. He was that big a fish.
1: Yeah, I mean like um. I, I've I I did some hit with somebody um, the other day about this, and everybody remembers obviously the Dean Dome win um, and his performance and the backward dunk off the steal over uh, over Warren Martin and the block of Kenny Smith at the end and and all of that and that that that's up there. The game you mentioned, I Ooh. was there on 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 the floor as he took Polynesia's shot and screamed "Give me that shit!" and threw it into the third row. Um, and, 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 and the electricity in that building for his final game was unbelievable. Um, there's a game that I remember very well. And unfortunately, they would lose to this team in the tournament later on. But they played Villanova. Um, at home, and it was. Do you remember? Like they used to play back-to-back games on a Saturday and Sunday against non-conference opponents in January. In this particular year, they played Notre Dame uh, at Colfield House on Saturday and, and beat Notre Dame seventy-seven to sixty-seven or something like that. And then the next day, it was you know Maryland ranked against Villanova ranked, and he had a dunk over Eddie Pickney. Um, off of a, off an offensive rebound, and they ended up winning that game. That's one of those memories I'll never forget. They, it, ironically, they would play in the Sweet 16 that year, and that was Bias's worst game of his career, was the Sweet 16 loss to Villanova. Villanova eventually went on to win the 85 title over Georgetown. That run doesn't happen. The Villanova story doesn't happen if Bias has just – kind of a subpar game rather than the worst game of his career, which he had in that game. And they still only lost by three um, to Nova. But that dunk over Eddie Pinckney, um, do you remember the play that I'm talking about, the offensive rebound national TV I game? And it was. I do I just.
3: I remember they. I just remember they used to. Just like you said, it was like Notre Dame and Nova back to back in a weekend series. And I, but. And I. I remember more clearly when they played when Nova opened the Dupont Center and it yeah, was Maryland up there. Out, all thing, or, yeah. And like it was early in the game. I want to say it was an NBC game, and it was like eight to eight, and they changed the graphic on NBC. It said Villanova eight bias eight, and it was like <laughs> I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. Um, they, didn't game, they didn't win that
1: game. They didn't win that game.
3: No, I, I know they didn't. Yeah. I, know, I know they they lost up there. I, I, I want to say they lost by one point. It was like a 61-60 or something. I, and maybe I'm making that up. You're way better remembering the, the game um, the, than f- the,
1: the fish story analogy is so perfect. It, it, it really is. There, it, it's, it's the fish story that's actually real, and it was actually real. bigger than what you thought.
3: Um, yeah. He was – You know what? Especially in retrospect, Kevin, like maybe bigger, because the more you think about it and the more you, saw, the more you realize what, what Jordan became, and you and you and you understand who who Leonard was when those guys went head to head. Like he was, you know. And granted, Jordan Carolina got a title, uh, so it wasn't the same from that from that perspective. But they were similar. They were on similar trajectories. You know, they were they were players that would have gone head to head in Boston and Chicago in their in their professional years, which changes the whole arc of everything in the sport. And that's the part that. You know, beyond the obvious sadness of the loss and, and, when, and the impact of his family, just from a basketball standpoint, what it would have meant for the how everything went. You know, who Jordan and the Bulls were. I'm not saying they wouldn't have been that, but they would have had to go through Leonard and, and Boston in the process, which would have been just insane. You know, and it's just nuts to think about because it it, you know it it didn't happen.
1: Um, by the way, uh, well, do me one favor. Just tell the story about the NC State game in Raleigh when they came, <laughs> when they came in at halftime and, left in, and and just just tell that story.
3: The paint the, the they were the I want to say they were wearing yellow jerseys on the road, but it doesn't seem right because it was uh, because I don't remember them wearing those on the road, but it was like a colored jersey. And and my guy Keith Gatlin told me this story about Lefty. And what's great is, you know, Keith had that great high-pitched voice. And so it's Keith it's Keith talking about, man, pal, lefty going crazy. And then it's Keith doing Lefty. <laughs> and the, the story goes that the, it's hot in Reynolds Coliseum. And the, the paint and the jersey and his sweat are like combined so that there's like this color of paint is like running down his arms. And Keith... <laughs> Told me that Lefty points at, at at Bias and said, Look at Leonard. Leonard is a warrior. Give the ball to Leonard. <laughs> and in the second half they gave the ball to Leonard. Yeah. I want to say one, they won. it was like a washburn team, wasn't it? Yeah. They, and they yeah. won they won by a point or something in Reynolds. Um but it's <laughs> it's Keith imitating Lefty screaming, Give the ball to Leonard. Uh and it just it makes me smile, man, because it just he was he was a warrior he was he was every bit of a warrior that's for sure
1: well you know that is the game in which he and washburn and a couple of others went out and remember he got suspended, he got suspended. from the next game lefty yeah, had to suspend him to they lost to clemson the next game yeah yeah well he was- um but the Carolina game came a couple of weeks later. You know, the th- the thing about that 86 season that people forget, the Terps 86 season, which, you know, included. They lost the, a lot of games. They lost a lot of games. They were they, at one point, I think they were 0-6 in the ACC. Now, a lot of close games in the ACC was loaded. Like literally Duke, Georgia Tech, North Carolina were all top five teams. And, and yeah. the schedule was front loaded. Um, but, you know, all you had to do was essentially get to a couple of games within 500, and you were going to go to the tournament and you were still one of the better teams in the country. The the game that, that cinched their bid was the North Carolina game in the Dean Dome against number one North Carolina first loss in the Dean Dome for the Heels. But they would then play Carolina in the ACC tournament and they blew them out. Like they got yep. Carolina a second time in, in the ACC tournament and they they won by – I want to say it was 20 or more – and then, you know, we know what happened. They, they, they lost to UNLV in the second round in a game that they led by, you know, nine points in the second half. And uh, the rest is history. That was his final game. He went out scoring 31, and I think he had 12 rebounds or something like that in his final game. Hey, whatever. Did you know that Blake went into the Maryland Hall of Fame this weekend. Gary told me that N- nobody from Maryland let anybody know that was that this was going on. I would have loved to have talked about it and tried to get Blake on the show, although he's very reluctant I think to do media. But um he certainly deserves that. I mean, I that was a big deal this weekend. Steve Blake going into Maryland's Hall of Fame.
3: Yeah, and he he deserves every bit of it and and you you know, you you look back at sort of who is who's like a perfect a perfect embodiment of Gary um, a guy that played with, uh, you know, talk about a chip on your shoulder. He played with it, you know. It was, it was when Jay Williams was at Duke, and like, you know, the, the, when for you, you talk about plays you remember. I mean, that, that's one of the most iconic, perfect Maryland moments in the nutshell. You know, the right before half, and Cole stealing the ball from Jay Williams, taking it in for that layup, and that building. I wasn't there; I was on the road. I just remember watching on TV. It was just it felt like that place was a tinderbox; oh, was ridiculous. ready to blow. Yeah, and. You know, the fact that he then, if, you, if you'd if you have bet money uh, after that great night in April and when they beat uh, Indiana to win a title, but if you'd have bet money that night, who's going to be the guy that has the longest pro run that's on the floor that night? I don't know who to bet on Steve Blake, but, um, you know, he, he he carved out a great, great run for himself in the league, and uh, I think it's awesome that he got in the hall. I mean, he, he deserves every bit of... Uh, Everyone's respect for for who he was, both in College Park and then at, at, you know afterwards in the program, it was it was a, it, you know a hell of a run for him.
1: All right, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Um, what do you got? Uh, you got post Monday Night Football tonight? Um,
3: yep, and then we'll do another show, and then we'll uh, we're gonna we're gonna head south to some warm weather for the for some uh, the Thanksgiving down in the Keys. We'll enjoy that, and then I'll be back at it on Sunday <laughs> for uh, for uh, the NFL. You just reminded yeah.
1: me. I mean, we've done this every year, uh, just uh, whatever. Scott's grandfather had a heart attack when Clint Longley beat Washington in 1974, and it was Scott's most traumatic childhood memory. Um, yeah. oh, 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 poor Lorenzo, Just he clutched the heart and Clint Longley yeah. nearly killed grandpa.
3: He nearly killed him. Uh, I think the people that the people through the years that have listened both to you and all of your different incarnations and radio and all the different shows and
1: Netflix, they've heard this one, yeah,
3: and partners, they yeah. they know it. The uh, but that's the cliffs Notes. It was my grandpa had a bad ticker, And yeah. He would sit there with this this little vial of nitroglycerin pills, and when he got particularly <laughs> stressed, he he'd pop nitroglycerins yeah. like Tic Tacs. Yeah. And uh, on that day in '74, when Longley started chucking touchdowns, it got a little bit. He got a little bit jammed up, yeah. and uh, you know, dinner was on the table. Uh, I went into the kitchen. I told my mom and my grandma, and my aunt, I'm like, "Grandpa's on the floor." I'm like, what are you talking about? Grandpa's on the floor. I'm like, heart attack. Ambulance comes. They took Lorenzo to the took him to Sibley. Uh, <laughs> the the pushed gun to shove. He was fine. It was a very mild heart attack. But the the best part of the story is my grandma who was this incredible woman, an unbelievable cook. She had everything timed so that when the game ended the the, the food would be on the table. She got in the back of the ambulance. She's like, Well you guys eat So here's here's a little eight year old Scott sitting at the table just thinking, Did the cowboys kill my grandpa and everyone's like, Nah, he'll be good. Here, pasta gravy, and we, <laughs> and we and we eat Thanksgiving dinner oh, after, after, Clint, after Clint Longley and the Cowboys nearly killed my grandpa, but they didn't, and he was uh, he was here for twenty more great years. And so, right. yeah, you tried, you tried Cowboys, but you missed. You didn't get my guy.
1: A Thanksgiving tradition like no other. Scott telling his go. grandfather Clint
3: Longley's <laughs> story.
1: All right, Happy Thanksgiving.
3: You too. always great to be with you. All
1: right, uh, that's the show, guys. Back tomorrow with Tommy.